one of the ways, as we move on through Ephesians 3, one of the ways to understand uh, Paul's writings in particular more clearly is to note how he tends to set up or to structure these letters. Paul argues throughout his letters to make his points or to prove his points. Usually, the technique he takes is to move from the indicative to the imperative. So this strategy is especially clear here in Ephesians. The first three chapters are really the indicatives of the gospel, what the gospel is, what the gospel says is true. The, the, uh, these are the things, the indicatives that God has accomplished for us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, and has revealed to us through His Word by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. You and I have nothing to do with making the indicatives true. The indicatives are the things that are true. They indicate what the truth is. The indicatives are the things that God has done, right? That God has made true. And these indicatives here are so important to note in verse 14, where we pick it up this morning, because these indicatives of the gospel are the reason Paul prays what he does for these Ephesian believers. We've learned that God the Father is the great source of the believer's salvation, that we've been chosen by God, not because we're holy, but that we might become holy. A commentator named Guy Waters notes that the purpose of the Father in salvation gives us these staggering benefits, as we read throughout the first three chapters. Holiness, adoption, forgiveness, and inheritance, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's from God the Father. God the Son has accomplished the salvation of all those whom the Father chose in eternity. And finally, God the Spirit applies the redemption accomplished by Christ to us, to believers, in real time. And so every single individual believer, every member of the church, is marked out by God's Spirit as His own possession. But the point of telling us that is not just so that we would know we're possessed by God, but that we're also, because we are possessed by Him, guaranteed by this seal of His Spirit to acquire all that He has provided for us in heaven. These are the great indicatives of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul closes this glorious three-chapter introduction with this great prayer this morning in verses 14 through 21, you and I are hearing the church worldwide throughout history is hearing how the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of His life, death, and resurrection for sinners, God's plan for the fullness of time, how that shapes us into our identity as the body of Jesus Christ in this world. The gospel goes to work for us. And so, by God's grace and for His glory, He will make known His Son's love for us through His Spirit to fill us with all His fullness that we might be His glorious church forever and ever. So let me pray and we'll begin. Father, we are thankful this morning that You have gathered us here in this place under the body and the blood and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By His stripes we are healed and by His life we live, Father, eternally and now. And so, Lord, I ask that You would reveal Your will to us in Your Son through Your Spirit in this passage. 
God, please help me preach your word clearly and divide it rightly for your name's sake and for the sake of the faith and hope and joy of your people and for those who are in this room to hear this morning. Father, we ask that you would enable all to do so. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Picking up chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Well, because you've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because you were chosen from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him because you were predestined in love to be adopted as God's child because we have redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of all our sins by His grace that He lavished on us in His Son, because we've obtained an inheritance in Christ, because we've been sealed as God's own possession by His Holy Spirit, which guarantees that we will acquire possession of that inheritance, because the power with which God raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Because God has seated our Savior Jesus Christ at His right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and has put all things under His feet, giving Him to the church as this head over all things, making us His body. That's chapter 1. Because we were dead in trespasses and sins, without God and without hope, far from God, but by His grace He saved us through faith. Because we were once far off but have now been brought near by the blood of Christ, Because Jesus himself is our peace that has broken down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles by abolishing the law covenant expressed in ordinances and by doing so has created in himself one new man in place of the two, reconciling us both to God. Because we have access in one spirit to the Father and are therefore no longer strangers and aliens to God or his people, but instead are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. Because we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's chapter 2. Because we are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Because of the unsearchable riches of Christ and God's eternal purpose being revealed in Him. It is through the church that God will make this great wisdom known to the entire cosmos and to all his enemies even. Because we have boldness and access to God through our faith in him. Because we have no reason under heaven or earth to lose heart in suffering. For this reason, Paul bows his knees before the Father in verse 14. This is what the gospel has accomplished for us. God's work through His Son by His Spirit in us is the entire basis of all God intends to give us and all that God has called us to as His people. And because God has done all of this for us, 
What Paul does here is what we do when we pray. We take advantage of the access he has purchased for us in Christ and bow our knees before the Father. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named in verse 1. In this sense, because humanity's origin is in God who created us, God the Father, or God is the Father of every single human being in creation and history. God is aware of every single human being and every single family and where they are and where they live and what their names are. And Paul is asking God in verse 16 that according to the riches of His glory, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you, that's more grace, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Way back in chapter 1 verse 5, or this, this refrain we see of according to, according to, according to, all throughout this first part of Ephesians. In one five, Paul told us that we were predestined for adoption according to the purpose of God's will. In one seven, we have redemption through the blood of Christ according to the riches of God's grace. In one nine, that God has made known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose He has set forth in Christ. In one eleven that we have obtained an inheritance according to the counsel of His will. In 119, that He would make known to us the riches of this glorious inheritance and the greatness of His power according to the working of His great might. In 3.7, that Paul had been made a minister of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace. In 3.11, that making His manifold wisdom known through the church was according to the eternal purpose He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now here in verse 16 of chapter 3, Paul prays that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner beings. Beloved, Ephesians 1.1 to Ephesians 3.13 is a description of God's glory that has now gone public for His church for sinners in the gospel. God's accomplishment of salvation and the revelation of His eternal purpose are God's glory made known. This is how He's chosen to make it known. And it is according to the riches, the endless riches of God's glory in the gospel that now we find God desires in Paul's prayer to grant us even more than He already has. It is all grace for God's glory. Everything you and I have Everything is according to God's will for us, the riches of His grace, knowing His purpose for creation, obtaining our inheritance, the knowledge of it, and the greatness of the power that is at work within us, the knowledge of His eternal purpose. All of that is by and through God for us, which means you and I are not responsible for obtaining anything that God actually wills for us. It is all granted to us according to His will, according to His power and His purpose and His grace and His glory. That's how secure we are. So when we read about what Paul is praying for us to know and to comprehend and then to actually accomplish in the rest of the letter, is it is a prayer for more grace. The glory of God in the gospel grants us all that we need to be the church He has created and called us to be. 
And the first thing Paul prays for the glory of God and the gospel to grant to his people is that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Which means, first of all, and maybe most importantly for us to realize, is that as believers, we do not have in us the strength to drum up the power we need to accomplish his will for us. Notice that Paul does not pray here that we would be strong, but that we would be strengthened, acted upon with power from the outside. That's grace. It's not just our salvation that is a gift of God's grace, but our accomplishment of God's will for us is by God's grace. Paul is praying these things for us because of what he revealed to us back in verse 10, this massive revelation that through the church, that's us, the church worldwide, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known now that he's revealed it in Christ to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, which means the church, you and I are the end time people of God. We're the proof that the last days have come. We are the culmination of the redemptive purpose of God for all creation. And as such, we are called to make known God's manifold wisdom in everything we are, in everything we do, and in everything we proclaim to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is here as God's mouthpiece to the devil that he has lost and evil is lost with him by the death and resurrection of his own son. For this to be that, that massively cosmic, eschatological, in-time fulfillment people of God, we first need to be strengthened with God's power on the inside, individually inside of ourselves by his spirit. Paul prays for God to grant us supernatural strength that we do not have that we might be who he has called us to be. So that, so here's why we need to be strengthened with power in our inner beings by him. Here's why in verse 17 that we need to be strengthened with his power through God's spirit deep down in each one of our individual souls. It's so that Christ may dwell, may remain in our hearts through faith. So beloved, it's the power of God at work in us that keeps Christ in our hearts. Did you know that? You and I are not doing that. We can't do that. We don't have the strength for that. But the first thing Paul prays for this cosmic end-time body is individual realization in every soul of every believer that Christ dwells there by faith. By faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember Ephesians 2, 8. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gift of faith then that saved us. God giving us the gift of faith, enabling us, causing us to believe. That faith as a gift of God's grace that put us in Christ never stops doing that. It never stops being active for our salvation. This faith from him. We are never then ever maintaining our own salvation or our own standing before God. And Paul prays that we would all individually deep down inside our souls know that and never forget it. 
This is why we need power from above, not just to believe in the first place, but to keep believing. Not assistance, grace. Right? It's, it's not a mixture of grace and will. It's not a mixture of grace and merit. Grace is grace. If you add anything to it from the receiver, it ceases to be grace. We need power from above in our own souls, spiritually, literally, if we're going to stay in the faith. We literally need the ongoing resurrection power of God at work in us all the way down to the core of who we are to keep believing. Since in this world, faith is how Christ dwells in the human heart. Faith is the gift of God. Christ doesn't dwell in our hearts then through any other means but faith. The reception of the promise. I receive this. I believe this. Paul is praying that every member of the church has the riches of God's glory at his or her disposal so that Christ will always dwell in our hearts through faith, not by works, not by will, not by grit, but by faith, by his gift to us, never by what we are giving to God. So, believer, we're never meant to trade in the glory of God's grace for the grit of our wit and performance as the means of staying in Christ. Peter writes that you and I are being guarded until the end through faith. Faith is the means. The gift of God is the means by which God gets us in and gets us to the end. That's crucial for us to believe and embrace. Because if we try to make Jesus stay with us any other way, we'll lose him. And we see now in the second part of verse 17 into verses 18 and 19 just what it is. This is why it's so important that Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith as a gift of God's glory and grace. Now we understand what that will actually do in us as the Spirit works that in us. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Did you catch that? Christ dwelling in our hearts through the gift of God, through faith, it does something. It roots us and grounds us in the love of God for us. I love this. God's glorious will for us is not that we would be rooted and grounded because we're constantly evaluating ourselves and can eventually take comfort in our good works or in our lack of sins To have Christ literally dwelling in our hearts supernaturally through faith, God's gift of grace to us, that is what roots a Christian and grounds a Christian in the great love with which he has loved us back in 2 verse 4. Beloved, God's desire for us is that we would be unshakably fixed, no matter what comes, in the depth of his love for us. That's a beautiful thing to hear. That's what God wants to pour over you and pour out in you. It is not God's will that we would attempt to live as Christians in this world or face the forces of evil trying to draw our assurance or our performance from our own strength. Where Christ dwells through faith then, supernaturally given by God, there is both the presence and the assurance that roots and grounds us in and of His Love, where there is an attempt to keep Christ in our hearts through our wills or through our performance or through our effort, which we tend, even if we don't 
believe it as a doctrine. What we tend to do is we gauge our assurance and our feelings by our performance, by how we're doing or by how our, uh, by how our lives are going. Sometimes if the burdens get especially heavy, we, we start to question the presence or the love or the care of God for us, don't we? Where there is an attempt to keep Christ in our hearts through our wills or through our performance or through our effort or our circumstances, that is an attempt to keep Christ in us by works. And Christ does not dwell where there is anything but faith. I never move beyond the faith that God gave me, which is the reason I believed in Him in the first place. It's not that we don't mature as believers. It's that we never move away from being justified by grace through faith alone, completely apart from works. Martin Luther calls that the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. How is a sinner made right with God? By grace through faith apart from works and in no other way. So track Paul's flow of thought. Track Paul's flow of thought in this one long six verse sentence all right that we're in the middle of paul prays that according to the riches of god's saving glory okay he would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being so that christ would dwell in our hearts through faith rather than some other way that then being rooted and grounded in love rather than our own effort or our own works we would then have the strength to comprehend. See, everything's moving towards something in this, these verses, right? Well, comprehend what, beloved? That love that He has for you. That's all. That's all. The strength to comprehend with all the saints. So there's the church reference. That in some sense... Properly comprehending God's love must be a community project. The strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you, the church, may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. God doesn't just want us to know that He loves us. That's amazing enough, but He wants us to know how indescribably, immeasurably much He loves us. Our struggle with sin, our struggle with faith, our struggle with the world and how we not only continue to sin by hurting others, but we get hurt by others, right? All that causes us to question, of all things, whether or not God loves us, right? Paul is basically praying that through faith we would comprehend the extent of God's love for us through faith, right? We're not going to comprehend God's love by means of the Spirit in earthly ways or by earthly means. It's going to have to be assured in us by God through His Spirit on the inside. So we'll have to keep pressing into Scripture and into prayer and into our relationship with Him, right? Asking for the faith to comprehend this love, because that's His will for us. For this, we need the riches of God's glorious salvation working on our behalf in our inner being. That, that in the depths of me that I can't even reach and 
dig out and pull out and identify in all this. The love of God for us in Christ will not be comprehended by our natural selves. It will not be comprehended by our minds or our will or our intellect. So Paul is praying for supernatural intervention inside us through the gift of God called faith. Because what we need to know and what he wants us to know, notice this, surpasses knowledge. In verse 19, I I love sentences like that. Right? Did you catch that? To know what surpasses knowledge. What can't be known. In verse 19, God's will for each one of his people is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Which is impossible in this text, by the way, without the communion of the church. Paul prays for us to know what cannot be known. What literally surpasses knowledge. There isn't a song or a moment in life or an experience or a book that can fully, fully convey this love to us. It is not Attainable. We are talking about something and resting in something through faith that we can't even measure. To be loved by this God. I mean, look at all the things we know from the Bible that God can do. The things we've seen in our own lives that God can do. So if that God loves, what kind of love is that? Well, Paul would have us contemplating it for the rest of our lives. To know what surpasses knowledge, the love Jesus has for us is simply too good. It's too good. It's too broad to understand. It's too long to comprehend. It's too high to grasp. It's too deep to fathom. So no wonder Paul prays for the glory of God to work in us a miracle of comprehension of this love. This, and, and by the way, that is what immediately precedes the imperatives, the commands of the gospel, what the gospel implies we should be and do in chapter 4 and following. Before we even get to how we're supposed to live, Paul says, I'm praying that by the Spirit of God through faith, we, you and I would be able to comprehend as the church what cannot be comprehended. And that's the love of God in Christ for us. Don't Christians have better things to do than just sit around and contemplate God's great love for us? Not if we want to actually do His will, apparently. Not if we truly desire to be filled with all the fullness of God. All of it? All of that? God can do that from there to here? According to the riches of His glory, He can. And His grace and His power and His love and His will. For God to fill us with His fullness as the church, that means nothing else can fill us at all. Right? There isn't room in the church for anything but Christ. This is so important, beloved. It's it's not that every other cause is necessarily evil. It's that the church is to be filled with all the fullness of God for us in Christ. Nothing else fills, makes up the church. This can't just be in our doctrine. 
It can't just be in our semantics. It has to be in our practice because that's where we live. Right? If Jesus isn't ruling over the mundane, He's not ruling because the mundane is where we live. This, These moments, this is where we live together as the church and then we go our separate ways. If we're not being filled with all the fullness of God in these moments, when we gather as His people, when we pray as His people, when we open His Word, when we sing as His people, when are we filled with His fullness? This is His time. We need brought back to the truth again and again and again. Paul is telling us that God means for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, which will root and ground us in His love for us, rather than trying to be rooted and grounded through our own works or comprehension or effort or will, that we might comprehend together this love that is so amazingly indescribable it literally surpasses the limits of human knowledge. And the limits of human knowledge, because we are made in the image of God, are extremely broad. It is amazing what human beings know and can do in light of it. It's amazing. This love surpasses it by eons, beloved. The, the image that can pinpoint a, you know, a little tiny molecule with, with a robot and go in and grab something. I mean, beloved, the, the, the love of God is, is blows that away. That's, that's the image of God marred. And we're capable of knowledge like that. No, he, he wants us together to comprehend a love so amazingly indescribable it literally surpasses the limits of human knowledge for a purpose. To the end that we, his church, would be filled with all the fullness of God. Which means Paul is praying here and God's will is to clear us out on, from the inside out. Go through his church, clear it out, fill us up, fill this place up with himself by means of the immeasurable love of Christ for us. This type of proclaiming of grace starts to sound repetitive, right? Right? There, there's more, I, I know there's more than that, but this, the pulpit preaching is for Christ crucified. That's what this is for. That's what this is for. But now, I hope when you read a prayer like this, you can understand that comprehending the love of Christ for us in His grace in the gospel, beloved, how else is God going to do this apart from His Word through faith? Right. That, that, that's what I hope, I hope to accomplish when I'm behind the pulpit, is, is, is to, that we just stand in awe of Christ. That's the goal of the pulpit. Our church being conformed to the image of Christ, rather than conforming to a reflection of ourselves, right? Because we do that. We all do that. Every church does that. We all do that. What we want, we want the church to reflect us, don't we? We do. All right? We want the, the church to reflect our preferences and our traditions and our priorities. And beloved, that's where... Christ is being pushed out. Right? That, that's how it happens. It, it doesn't happen by, the, by Christians saying, we don't want Christ to, to be primary. That's, nobody says that. Who would ever say that? You, you recognize that right away as bad. We, what we do is we want everything in the church to be a reflection of ourselves. This is not that. 
Right? There are other clubs and things to join where that is the goal, and that's fine. That's fine. This is for the fullness of God. And the way God has chosen to reveal Himself in fullness is in the gospel of Christ crucified for sinners. So we don't want the church, we can't want the church, any of us, me included, to just be a reflection of us. We want it conformed to the image of Christ rather than conform to ourselves and our priorities and our preferences and all of these things. That is why we have to submit to His Word. And, And what that is, that message that I just said, understand, that is because of His love for you and I. His love for you and I. We talked Wednesday night, we started in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And, and how it, it's so odd to read that the, the Lord your God is a jealous God. And of course, we won't get into all that this morning. But again, not jealous like he's envious or petty. Jealous because he's worthy, yes, but also jealous because God knows what will harm us and would save us from worshiping it. And beloved, if we just make everything about ourselves, we will shrink down to the size of ourselves. That's not what this is for. God didn't create the church so the Christians would have somewhere that they can be the main thing. No, 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 no. God created the church so that in every town, hamlet, village, city, metropolis, continent, state, province, island, on planet Earth would know that God rules and reigns over all things through His Son And therefore, this God in grace and love has moved towards us rather than away from us that we might be saved before He returns in judgment for the quick and the dead. That's why we're here. That's what this is about. This isn't about anything else. It can't be or it's unbiblical, right? Back in 123, Paul told us that the church is the body of Christ, who is the fullness of God, the one in whom everything dwells and has been created. So God would have us be filled with all that he is for us in Christ, all of him, all of him. That's how much Jesus, God wants his church to have all of him, all of him. And for this. We need God's grace in verse 16 and His strengthening power working in us through His Spirit in our inner being. We need Christ dwelling in our hearts also by the gift of God's grace. Faith in verse 17 so that you and I would finally be rooted and grounded in His love for us. A love so otherworldly in its quality and extent that it surpasses knowledge so that we would be completely filled with all the fullness of God In verses 18 and 19, beloved, because the church is God's one holy temple. Remember, we are his dwelling place place by the spirit. Back in chapter two, verses 21 and 22, we are the house God is building to dwell in the earth that his glory and his grace and his love would be displayed and proclaimed. Imagine. Somebody else was building a house and you walked into it and decorated it how you wanted it. This 
is what we are doing when we are compromised by our sinful desires, beloved. And, and listen, you say, I, I, my desire for such and such is not a sinful thing. It may not be, but it becomes so when it conflicts with the supremacy and centrality and priority of Jesus Christ in the church. This is the one place on earth God has chosen His people in this building to make His gospel, His glory known to the world. It, it shouldn't be hard. It, it should not be hard for us to say, we'll reserve this for Jesus and Jesus only. Why this, this building? I thought it was just a building. It is. But the community knows that something called the church is where Christians go. Right? And so we want this as a building, as the means God has given us and provided for us, this beautiful big place that we have. Right? We, we, we want that to be the proclamation of Christ in our community. That they, they don't need us for anything else. Because God isn't doing anything else in the world. We are. We have all kinds of causes we're fighting for. God's fighting for one. That's why we're here. So it really isn't just a cliche. It's actually God's own will for the church to literally be all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him, right? That's kind of cliche now that we say that. But that's God's will. We are the place where God has said he will now live on the earth. His son's body. So isn't it interesting that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form in Colossians 1.19. Through the church in Ephesians 3, 19. How can that be? How can that be what this is? And what this is all about? Your pastor has this giant gap in his bottom teeth. And all kinds of faults and follies. How, how can this be that? That we simultaneously sinners and saints. Justified and still sinful. That meet in a brick building with all our limitations and all our shortcomings could ever truly become anything close to this, to be filled with all the fullness of God. This is ridiculously wishful thinking, Paul, or is it? Lest we think Paul doesn't grasp the magnitude of what he's saying and praying for, look at the last two verses. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's earth. Forever and ever. That's eternity. Amen. So be it. What God desires and plans and purposes, He will most certainly accomplish. Beloved, what God desires His church to be, it will be according to the power at work within us. God is working in each of us in verse 20, individually and as a church together, to be what He has called us to be according to His power. God is going to do this in His church. Now, whether or not we join Him and submit to Him or stand in His way, that's on us. 
That's on us. But we are not being invited to become something. Do you notice this? To work until we attain something in these verses. We are simply being told how God is going to make this church glorious for all eternity as the testimony to the cosmos that He and He alone is the one true living God by His power. That's what He's going to do. How can God get us, Moundsville Baptist Church, then from here to there? How can God make us into something so grand it will display to even His greatest enemies how unsearchable and exhaustive His his wisdom is, not just for devising such a plan and purpose, but for accomplishing it through the death of His own Son. Beloved, by the same power that raised the Son from the dead. That's how. By the power that created all things with a word. By the power that raises the dead with a word. By the power that saves sinners by that word. And conforms each one of them into His Son's image. By that, He will make us glorious. What we need is to have our hearts turned to Christ. More Jesus. Right? From the pulpit. With one another. In our classes. More Christ. More focus on Him. Do we really need all that? Beloved, His love surpasses knowledge. We're not going to exhaust it in an hour. And we're going to need it by next, by Wednesday, we're going to need it. By next Sunday, we're going to need it. We're going to probably need it by lunch. Because we are so far, not, not as citizens, understand, we're not far from being saved. We're, we're so far from comprehending how much He loves us that the smallest things in this world completely throw us off and make us angry and bitter and afraid and worried and anxious. And listen, all that's happening there. And listen, I know, and I'm not being patronizing here, I know there are mental issues in many human minds that also work against us. That's real. Okay? And shame on the church forever shaming people for having issues mentally. All right? There is mental illness, and that can affect our comprehension of the truth. So the more, the better for each of us. For each of us, and me included, my goodness, we are meant for something so much greater than mere existence and longevity as a church. Our church has accomplished that. Our church has a legacy. It stood for a long time. A long time. That is nothing to be ashamed of. That's wonderful and a testament to God's faithfulness. But we are here for more than that. Something so much greater than being able to pay the bills. And we need to be able to pay our bills. But something so much greater. And these are wonderful things. Means through which God is served and His people are served. But so much greater things than keeping the grass mowed or the plumbing working. That's a big deal. The lights on. So that our kids will have a nice place to call their home church when we're dead and gone. That's all fine, but beloved, we're meant for so much more than that. What God has done is so powerful and incomprehensible that what He means to do here could last well beyond this building. What God is trying to do here doesn't depend on this building. He's just letting us have one. And so while we have it, we might as well use it, right? 
But we, we've not been saved for merely earthly things. We've not been called into this one people of God, this family, with this cosmic purpose for such earthly things. There, there's more and better. You and I are here by the glory and grace and power of God to be His literal dwelling place in the Ohio Valley and every other church that professes Christ, right? This isn't a place for people of merely like minds who enjoy all the same things and the same nostalgia and the same traditions and all that's fine, right? But that is not what God is building in the world. That's not why He wants us to be here. God is building something so grand by His grace and for His glory that the entire cosmos will stand in awe of it. Right? What God intends is that those lost in sin and darkness in the Ohio Valley would know God's address. Where He moved into the neighborhood technically about 2,000 years ago. One of those houses in the Ohio Valley is at 1911 4th Street. Another one of those houses is at 904 Tomlinson and 409 Annandale and 1312 7th and on and on and on it goes. God's house lives inside these walls and those walls. But they won't know we're here or that is what we are until Paul's prayer is answered in us. We, we aren't here just for the people that lived in the valley 40 years ago. We are here for the different people that live in the valley today. We have Christ for them. So I don't leave us with a challenge. I end this morning with a, with a benediction. That according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant you and I to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that us, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with each other what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we, yes, we, may be filled with all the fullness of God Himself in the Ohio Valley.